everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. We have a very special guest for today's episode. For the most part, Attendance Bias is focused on fans of the band, and each fan tells his or her story. But once in a long while, a person directly associated with the band will come on the podcast, and that person will talk about their history with Fish and break down a special show or a jam. For example, Tom Marshall has been on the podcast, Sue Drew, who was the band's A&R rep at Electra Records. She told her story, and today's guest ranks right up there in his ability to tell about Fish from the inside out. All that said, today's guest is a member of the Giant Country Horns and current trumpet player for Roomful of Blues, Carl Gears Gerhard. Carl chose to tell about his gig with Fish at the Arrowhead Ranch, New York, on July 21st, 1991. If you got into Fish at a time when tape collecting was still part of your experience, there is no doubt that this gig came across your radar at some point. It was the midway point of the July 1991 Horn Tour, and you could tell just by listening that the band, the full band, Horns included, was feeling it full throttle. And aside from the music, though, a main goal of this podcast is to help the listener feel as though he or she is right there with the guest, feeling and experiencing the show that's being discussed. What makes today's episode special is that Carl is able to get us backstage and on stage with Fish as he tells us about the conversations and decisions that led to the Horn Tour in 1991 and what it felt like to collaborate with Fish and other members of the Giant Country Horns. But even more important than anything is that Carl was extremely generous with his time and with his words, welcoming us into the world that was Fish Tour in the early 90s. So let's join Carl Gerhardt to talk about Tony Bennett, life in the Navy, and the 48-hour practice marathon rehearsals as we discuss Fish's show at Arrowhead Ranch from July 21st, 1991 in Parksville, New York. Carl, welcome to Attendance Bias. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. I am so excited to talk to you today for a multitude of reasons, and I have to tell you right off the bat that the conversation that we're having right now with Carl Gearhart is kind of the fulfillment of a quarter century year old dream of mine, because the show that you chose to talk about today, July 21st, 1991 at Arrowhead Ranch was one of my first tapes, one of the first tastes I ever got of fish. So to speak to someone who not only was there, but had a major hand in developing some of my favorite music for a quarter century of my life, I got to tell you, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Uh, that's nice of you to say, Brian. We had a blast uh, playing all those shows on the tour. That was really a lot of fun. I know that your connection with Fish began with a friendship with Paige. You guys were friends in the mid-80s, and then you got to know Paige, and he got to know you. When Fish was getting together, were you on the inside of that? Were you like a sounding board for him? What was your relationship like when Fish was getting going? Well, um, Paige and I go way, way back, actually, you know, back, I think we were 11, 12 years old, and we would do a lot of uh, jamming at each other's houses, and, you know, we we did a lot of music together, and then, you know, going through uh, high school, and he went off to college, and then I ended up joining uh, the Navy and joined the Navy band, uh, so when I was on leave, I would come home uh, to New Jersey, and he would be on break from college, and we'd always get together and jam, and then I had got stationed in Newport, Rhode Island in the late 80s, 
page was in fish at, by that time. So when they were coming down to New Hampshire, he gave me a call. I said, hey, come on out. I'm playing this new band. And, and uh, one thing led to another. And that's uh, went out to see them. I think the first time I got a chance to play with them was in November of uh, 88. And that's how the whole relationship began with with Fish. So he had already been in the band. I mean, we, we had stayed in contact. So, but the uh, first opportunity um, was for me to play with them was in 1988. When you say that you guys jammed, was it trumpet and keyboards or did you play different instruments? Did he play different instruments? What did it sound like? Uh, it was pretty much just trumpet and uh, keyboards. Um, <laughs> we were schooled together. Uh, we had a, we had a drummer join us. Uh, his name is John Joyce. He was a great drummer, and we actually went out and uh, I think we played a battle of the bands, and and I think we won. You know, just the three of us. Uh, Drums, keyboard, and trumpet won a battle yeah, of the man, bands. Was, oh god, we were we were eclectic even back then. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> what made you choose the trumpet? I remember when I was in fourth grade. I think it was all the kids. There were we got split in half. The grade did where you could join band or chorus. And I chose band. I couldn't, I still can't sing a lick to save my life. And I chose to play the clarinet because it had nothing to do with music. I like that the the horn itself could be folded up into a bunch of little pieces. This long, big instrument could be broken down into like seven different pieces and held in this tiny little suitcase. That was all it meant for me. Um, and then I joined the drums where I found myself musically. So I was just curious, what is it about the trumpet that allures you? Well, that, that's kind of funny you say that, uh, Brian, because for for a couple of years leading up into when you had to choose an instrument, I think it might have been in fourth grade, um, I was enamored by the clarinet. Or not. <laughs> and I would always listen to my grandparents' uh, big band albums, you know, jazz albums, and Benny Goodman and Artie Shaw. And guys like that, I just the clarinet was just an amazing instrument to me. Anyway, so it came time to pick an instrument, and uh, all my my buddies they wanted to play trumpet. So I said, okay, I'll I'll try trumpet as well. So that was fourth grade. Now in fifth grade, like half that crowd quit. So I was kind of like stuck with the trumpet. I'd say stuck with it, but it's a uh, you know it's a tough instrument for some people, especially me. Some people it comes really naturally. Um, for other people, you know, you got to work at it and, uh, it's, it's a great instrument. It's a big melody instrument and, uh, I'm, I'm really happy playing it, but it's been, uh, it's been a labor of love over these many, many years of, of playing trumpet. What were some of the challenges you had, uh, learning to play the trumpet? I think just trying to find your sound. No one ever had to tell me to go practice. I loved, I just love music so much. And I stuck up in my room and try to play with whatever whatever was coming on the radio down in the living room my mom had on you know i would just try to memorize these melodies and that's really been kind of my go-to or strong suit where you play by ear and then you obviously you play by ear then you can improvise embellish on the melody but trumpet you know get back to the challenges it was it's just it's the more you play the more you find your sound and the more you either work on the things that you need work on, or you just, you know, just keep playing and developing your, uh, your, your own style and your own sound. So, I mean, I'm never going to be 
the best that I want to be, but it certainly is, uh, it, it's been great trying. What are some of those melodies or songs that you would play along to? Because I used to, when I discovered the drums, I was obsessed with the who and Keith moon. So what I would do, this was around the time that uh, the internet was just getting started in their mid nineties. I would go online. I would find lyrics to all my favorite songs by the who I would print them out and then keep the lyrics on the floor, Tom, so I could read them and sing them as I played the rest of the drum set. So it was kind of my way of playing the melodies along to the, the music, although the music was in my head. It wasn't on the radio. What were some of the songs that you have in your memory playing along to on the trumpet? Um, I guess some of the stuff that, you know, the Louis Armstrong stuff, uh, Dixieland, then, then the big band. I mean, any particular tune, I'm really not, it's not coming to me, but it basically it came, came on the radio at the time. And I just tried to, uh, you know, memorize the melody and then be able to play it on my own. But um, I guess, just the jazz standards, if you will. Like Glenn Miller, stuff like that, in the mood, things like that? Oh, yeah, because in the mood is, you know, part of a, a big band arrangement setting, you know, so you kind of know your part. You don't play the saxophone part, you don't play the trombone part, right? You play the, the trumpet part. And in, in itself, it's uh, it's pretty well known. So when, <laughs> when I do these pickup gigs, if I play with other bands and you don't have any music at all, everything are what we call head charts, meaning the band leader will just call up a tune and you're expected to know it. And that's how I learned because I used to play with a lot of older guys when I was young. Um, my dad worked in restaurants and if there was a band playing at the bar or whatever, you know, he would say, Hey, my kid can play, you know, and the guys in the band would be like, Oh, you know, bring me to a rehearsal or something. Or they would just, take a leap of faith and I'd jump up there and everybody would be, you know, it was a big deal and, and it was a lot of fun. So once you get uh, an opportunity to do that kind of music and then you can stand up there and then be part of a group that you don't need music to play, you just start calling tunes. Um, then you're able to improvise and um, I don't know. So you mentioned your first time playing with fish and your relationship with page. What I found on fish.net is that your first guest appearance was on November 11th, 1988 at the old stone church in new market, New Hampshire. What it says up there is you opened the show with the band you played. I didn't know. And then you helped close the show with the John Coltrane classic, Mr. PC. Uh, is that, first of all, is that accurate on fish.net? You know, um, ironically, I didn't know. I don't think I played on that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that uh, that's correct. And I think there was another thing. This It's about Russ Remington being on the gig. It was just me that night. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't remember playing. Uh, I didn't know. But you did play Mr. PC. Oh, yeah, we did Mr. PC. Um I forget what else we played. I think there's a tape out there something somewhere, you know. Uh, at least I used to have it, have the tape of it. But um, yeah, that that was a ball. I actually, I think I played uh, flugelhorn on Mr. PC. I met uh, the band before. I think they just loaded in, or it was before load in, and uh, we met at a like a pizzeria, and we just shot the breeze for like over an hour. It was great. I got to know them a little bit that way. 
And then when I got to play, it was just like they called, just like or said earlier, you know, they would call a tune and uh, like Mr. PC. And I think Trey asked me, hey, do you know Mr. PC? I'm like, yeah, I know that one, you know. So it's a, a C, C minor blues. So it was a lot of fun. that spontaneous did you guys talk ahead of time about you going up to play with them or is it just hey this guy plays a horn you know this it's blues and see like how spontaneous was it you know i don't remember all the details brian about that i know we did talk about hey we're thinking about doing this or that you know um it wasn't a total uh surprise i just remember how you know when i went up there and at what stage of the of the gig that I got called up to play, but I really, you know, I actually got to find that tape somewhere and, and, and listen to it and kind of hear what we did. But for the longest time, you know, after that, that one particular gig and I got a tape of it, it was, it was fun, man. And I just, at that point I was like, this is, I'm so happy for Paige that he's in a band like this and then meeting those guys, just the nicest people to this day that, uh, that, that you'd ever want to meet. Just very, very genuine people and that's why i think they've been able to be together for so long and just keep pushing the envelope even further down the road musically because it's just they just get along so well from day one it's just very very gracious and inviting and there's no pretentiousness you know because i'm you know i was doing my thing i was in the neat band and they're doing their thing and you know all trey wanted to talk about was hey so what do you guys do in the navy band you know you know what kind of gigs you play and you know, it was, it was hard for me to get a chance to ask them questions just because he was so, <laughs> he was just so engaging and he just hasn't stopped uh, being that way with, with anyone. He's just very, very uh, interested and kind and, you know, it just gets you pumped up to be around those guys. And are you still in contact with Paige or with the band in general? Yeah, um, Paige and I either talk or, or text. And when they come up northeast, um, and I'm, I'm not gigging myself. Uh, would love to go see them. So he's, he's very gracious in, in hooking me up with, with passes, and uh, you know, so my family could come as well. I guess wherever I, I'm at, you know, right now I've been in New England for, since I retired from the Navy, so kind of in one spot. But before then, you know, I was stationed in, in Virginia, and I got a chance to play with them uh, down there in Portsmouth the last time. At Antelos, and then before then, I was in Virginia Beach for a good bit of time, so I was able to play 
uh, Hampton with them. And I think they made the, uh, you know, the Hampton comes alive for one of those, right. one of those runs. It was, uh, it was, I think 1998, right? You played on when they played tub thumping that song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, a, that was a lot of fun. And just looking away from fish for a moment, who do you play with now? And where can fans keep track of where you're playing and with whom you're playing, how to see you live, et cetera. Give yourself a little bit of a plug. Oh, great. Thanks for asking. I do play with a, a blues band called Room Full of Blues. They've been around for quite some time, over a half a century. Uh, different musicians in the band, of course, but we have uh, one of the original members is, is still in the band. He's, he's just great. His name is Rich Latai. He plays saxophones. And we have a uh, musical director, if you will, has been with the band since 1990. And his name is Chris Vachon. And we have an unbelievable singer, Phil Pemberton. Just got a new drummer, also a retired Navy guy that I used to play with. Mike Coffey is on drums. Bass players, John Turner. And he's a, he's a Boston guy. And well, What kind of music? Like, what are some songs? What yeah, are some, yeah. what are yeah. some songs I, on the set list? Okay, we're playing we're playing some original stuff, but we're playing some uh, some blues covers too. Uh, they kind of do uh, a jump type swing of blues, and we do have some uh, slow treatment of stuff that uh, the horns lend themselves to. So it's an eight piece band. You know, they've they've got a niche. You know, they've they've uh, five times nominated for Grammys. Yeah, won a ton of uh, of blues awards throughout the years. So, and we put out an album. Actually, it's called in a room full of blues and that came out it actually dropped the day covid hit on friday the 13th 2020 so so uh, obviously that the album the album comes out and then uh, all our gigs ended up getting getting postponed or canceled so but the album itself um i believe was either number one or number two for like five months straight on the international blues uh, polls. So it was, it was really cool that people were listening to the album and it got a lot of attention and I was just really proud to be a part of it. That's fantastic. I'll put the link to the band, to the website and to the album in the show notes for today's episode. That's great to hear. I can't wait to uh, check it out. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's a, it's, you know, they got a ton of great stuff in their library. Uh, this is just uh, the first album that I've been on with them. I've been with the band uh, almost five years next week actually it'll be five years for me so um it's just a blast the guys in the band are awesome we love making music uh, together and, and we have a a decent following of people all over so wherever we go uh you, know, you got a lot of room full of blues fans so it's great to play for those folks great well carl we got to know you as the performer as the guy on stage with the trumpet in his hand but we'd love to hear about you as a fan when it comes to fish. So we're going to go through the attendance bias lightning round. Attendance bias lightning round. The first question that I always ask, I think you've already answered. The first question is always, when was your first fish show? And what do you remember from it? But I think you already answered that one, right? Right. So what was your most recent show? And what did you think of it? Uh, The most recent show was in Mansfield uh, last month. And it was the first the first of two nights there it was the Thursday night and it was great. Got to bring uh, my family and we have a lot of friends. Paige and I have mutual friends that live in Mansfield. So right, right around the corner from the venue. 
So we did a nice uh, pregame at their place, just uh, dro- drove on over to see the show. And it was, it was great, man. It was a great, great night. Carl, what's a song that you've never played live on stage with Fish, but you would love to? Brian, um, I really love Chalk Dust Torture. And I think we played that, or they played it, when we did the horn tour in 91. So correct me if I'm wrong, if you go back to those 14 separate shows. But anytime I hear that, I'm like, man, does this thing scream for some horns or what? If you could play live on stage with any musician, living or dead, who would it be? I love Tony Bennett. That guy transcends all genres of music, and he's so well-respected. Just an amazing artist, and I had a chance to see him. Uh, My wife and I went to see him when we lived in New Orleans in the early 90s, and the guy was just incredible. And he just had a trio, and all I could think of is I would love to be up there to, to make it a quartet, you know, just sit back <laughs> on my, sit back on my flugelhorn and play. He was talking about, you know, tunes, like the great American songbook. It was just one song after the other. And I know a lot of, a lot of folks do this at fish shows. They write down the set list, right? Mm-hmm. I was up there. I was up there just jotting every song down. It just, he must've sang over 30 songs that night. It was just incredible. And so that's the guy I would, you know, unfortunately he's, He's failing now, and he's he's dealing with some some dementia. But when he gets on stage, it's it's like he's a, a different person. He just can belt out these these tunes, these lyrics. He's still in full voice. He's over ninety years old, and um, just an incredible musician. So that would be the guy I would love to play with. What are some artists or more recent songs that you've been listening to who's on your playlist lately if you're on a long road trip to go to a gig who are you putting on the radio i'm in a blues band but i love listening to stevie ray vaughn cool i i really think as a trio when he was playing as a trio or when he had keyboards as a quartet that driving groove that those guys had with no click track right i know a lot of bands don't use click tracks, but a lot of bands do use click tracks. It's basically mm-hmm. to keep keep the tempo consistent, right? You being a drummer, you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but those guys just I I could watch and just listen to them. Just, it's amazing the, the groove and the sound that they got, and I just love the way he, he plays. So to me, I don't I can listen to it and not dissect it, right? Some just the, the hard part about listening to me me for music is i start dissecting the music right Mm -hmm. and but it's it's strictly for pleasurable purposes but if i get myself wrapped up into what they're doing and how's the how's the recording you know is can you hear everybody equally you know that whole thing instead of just letting the music bring you happiness and joy right so um, something like that i just turn on and just it never gets old to me and finally the last question i wrap up every lightning round with carl what is the weirdest thing you've ever seen at a fish show well it wasn't at one particular show it actually was a culmination of shows and it started early because when we 
And I'm going back to when we toured with them. I mean, we had great audiences, not like they have now, obviously, um, but we had some unbelievable audiences. And I had noticed there was one one young guy who's in his early 20s, and he came to the, I, I remember the first show that we played, maybe Battery Park, and he was there. It's just one of these guys, you know, he's kind of up front and center, you know, and having a great time. And he wasn't trying to bring attention to himself or anything, but I just remember what he looked like. And because the next gig and the next gig and the next gig, and like it seemed to be, I don't think he came all the way to Atlanta, but this guy was at every show. And, and that was for me, I never seen that, you know, like, what are you doing? <laughs> you take the whole summer off to come see this band. I mean, you recognize people uh, in the audience a little bit, but remember the lights are on and you don't see everyone, but this particular young guy was uh, coming to all the shows. And I, I had asked him, I said, Hey, didn't I see you? He goes, yeah, man, I'm coming to every show. I said, that is unbelievable. <laughs> I think that is just great. So that's, I don't know if that's the weirdest thing, but that was certainly aha moment when you're like, man, this, this band is really going someplace because you felt it. You knew that this was something really special. When was this show played? So by the time July 1991 rolled around, the band had already finished an almost four-month winter and spring tour. They played from early February to late May, and they took a short break in June and used that time to record a picture of Nectar. So for the first half of the year, they never put their instruments down, it seemed. A picture of Nectar would become their major label debut. So when you were saying that you could kind of feel the momentum building in their live shows, their professional lives were also becoming a bit more professional. They were beca- they were getting the ball rolling a bit. And so when they showed up to play these shows in July, you mentioned the 21st, they were already warmed up. They were beyond warmed up. And I would argue that this summer 91 tour is probably best known for two things. Number one, I would suggest the soundboard recordings that were easily available. I have a feeling this is a lot of people's first tape. And second, you guys, the giant country horns. Dave Grippo, Russ Remington, and you. And you guys played with Fish for a handful of dates, beginning in Battery Park, like you mentioned before, and ended a week after today's show on the 27th in Atlanta. What do you remember about the scene at the time? Like, what size of crowds were coming? What? How old were the fans? Was it all teens? Was it guys in their girls in their 20s and 30s? What do you? What are your images come back to your head when I say July 1991? Depending on the size of the venue, Brian. You know, if it was Arrowhead Ranch or, or Townsend Park or or even Battery Park, you know, Battery Park, I think, was our first gig. And I don't remember how many people were there, but it, it was neat to see how many people were there to support it, you know, as opposed to just playing a show for 100 people. You could sense that um, there were there were a lot of people that already knew their music that were there. So it getting back to the size of the fish tank, right? So yeah. you have a small fish tank. You know, if it was a big venue, then there was a lot of people. So it just, it never seemed like we had a small crowd. If the, if it was a large venue, then it just seems like we, we had filled it up. And people, people come out to see us. And then, and there was a, like the Arrowhead Ranch shows, you know, there were more bands on the bill than, than just us. But it would seem, uh, when, when we came on, it was, it just seemed like the crowd even grew larger and people were there really to, to see fish. So that was pretty cool. 
it seems like that from the video because there is video footage on YouTube of this gig. And the guys who were, at least the guys who were wearing shirts, were wearing fish shirts. <laughs> yeah. 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 So getting back to the, I think the average, a lot of younger uh, folks our age at the time, you know, in our, in their twenties, not, not a lot of older folks. My parents actually came to one of those shows, which was pretty cool. And uh, my sisters and my uh, friends from, from high school, uh, you know, friends that were mutual friends of Paige, Paige and myself. So that, that was kind of neat. And this, a friend of ours, uh, Randy Pappas had taken a bunch of photos, which uh, they're really, really good color photos of, of that, that show so they're out there somewhere when i was writing up these notes i'm very I'm, I'm an english teacher so i'm a stickler for words i wrote that the horn section changed the sound of so many already great fish songs but i stopped and i erased the word change and then i wrote enhanced oh and yeah that's something that really grabs me even i was listening to the show today just to get ready to talk to you and it was just so impressive how it wasn't just a novelty. It really felt like Fish was a band who had a horn section and for the rest of their career, they just didn't tour with the horn section. You know, like you guys were so organic as part of it. Uh, how did that go, those conversations about where to add horns and how to add them? Well, I think we, we kind of came up with uh, a collaborative blueprint for what we were going to do when we went up there for the rehearsal. So. Uh, the rehearsal in itself kind of was like a two day marathon because we kind of had to pack everything in and figure out what, what was going to work um, and then get on tour. And then as we, you know, as we got on tour, you know, once we got on tour, we were adding songs and a lot of, a lot of stuff that we did. Uh, there were some repeats like, you know, Susie Greenberg and, and Cavern and, and a couple others, but, and we, I don't think we ever did anything the same way twice. And it was just basically being able to listen and just kind of surrender yourself to what was going to happen next. Because we, we just had this musical intuition, you know, this kind of ESP that was going on. So we had to kind of fit into that, you know, ride the wave of the jams. Like, when are we going to come in with these background lines you know or what background lines are we going to play you know or you know turn around and play off the mic and maybe play you know play a lick and those guys the horns would hear it and then we'd all play it together you know and it would sound like we kind of rehearsed it right you know if there are videos out there i'd have to look at them and go and then kind of remember what we were thinking at the time if you just listen to it it almost seems you know fairly well orchestrated but there's a lot of that stuff is just off the cuff. It's amazing. I was laughing just now when you said it sounds fairly orchestrated. This sounds like a professional band. It's so <laughs> it's so tight. It, like I said, it makes the rest of Fish, the other every single other show they play, it made me ask, all right, well, where are the horns? They must be off tonight. Because so many of these songs sound like they deserve horns, like they need them to, to sound like the full flower of themselves. I'm, I'm glad you think that way. I, I think that way as well, um, at least from from the 1.0 perspective, right? Yeah. Because, you know, there's just some really good stuff that we played on. And when you say enhance, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. I thought I thought the same thing. And, and we just didn't know at the time 
maybe the impact it would have had or it has on the band's trajectory you know, for whatever that's worth. I can just tell you it, it was it was a great time to stretch it out and to feel uninhibited on stage, whereas you're in maybe other groups you'd be a little bit apprehensive about throwing a background line that was unrehearsed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and it just I think even even if we tried something that maybe didn't work perfectly, we kind of got away from it quickly enough where it didn't sound like a a big mistake, you know, and that just, it just makes you more confident. And it's almost like you're thinking as at least the horns were thinking as one solid mind, whereas we're playing whatever licks they were, whether they rehearsed or not. And then, you know, being able to throw some harmonies in there at the same time and then seeing the reaction of the band. That's another thing, you know, when Trey turns his head and he looks at smiling, you know, it's like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> you know, or let's keep, or let's keep going. And and just hearing what the four of them are doing, you know, with the peaks and the valleys of the tune. So I think, you know, as far as part of the open jam moments, right, or wherever the tune was going, s- certain tunes were fairly structured where they had a beginning and the end and they weren't as long as maybe they're doing them today, right? We were adding things along the way. I think the Golgi apparatus was was a sound check arrangement. It's like doing a sound check and it's like, hey, let's put some horns to this. And we came up with this this lick, you know, and it's and we did it a few times. So it was just great to add things because you know the fans were used to seeing the band with a different set list every night. Well, with a horn tour, we we did have a lot of repeats. Yeah, and that makes sense. Did you did you know the other horn players before? You knew Russ Remington, right? No, I, I never met Russ until we went on tour. And oh, wow. uh, I, I yeah, I met I actually met Dave Grippo. I think it was January of ninety-one. Paige called me and said, Hey, we're gonna do we're gonna do a gig at Nectar's, but we're gonna be under an assumed name. Like we don't want people to know it's us. So we're going to make it a jazz gig. <laughs> and he's, he's like, we're going to make it, uh, we're going to call it the Johnny B. Fishman Jazz Ensemble, right? <laughs> so he said, come on up, and um, Dave Grippo is going to play sax, and you play trumpet, and we're just going to play a bunch of jazz tunes. I was talking earlier about you know, Great American Songbook and, and head charts and stuff like that. So anyway, we got up there, and uh, we didn't rehearse. We just played this stuff that, that Trey called, you know, the jazz tunes. And I guess after maybe 45 minutes, an hour, like kind of word got out that it was actually fish there. So then we had this huge, huge crowd in Nectar's, but we just played jazz stuff. We didn't play any fish music, you know, and, uh, and it went over great. So the next day I stayed with Paige at his apartment that night, the next day I talked to Trey and he's like, Hey man, how much time? Because I was in the Navy, and he's like, "How much time can you get off this summer? We want to go on. <laughs> we want to go on tour with horns." So I, I went and asked my boss at the time. I said, "Hey, I got this opportunity. You know, while I'm on my summer break, I'd like to have it extended, and I'll play with this band. You know, and 
trying to explain to him. And he couldn't go to the internet and look up fish, right? Of course. So, but he, he kind of, uh, yeah, luckily, you know, I'm a trumpet player. So in the Navy band, you've got six or seven or eight trumpet players in the band that you could fill a, a concert or a ceremony or whatever needed. So they, they allowed me some extra time to do this tour. That's why our rehearsal was just like a 48-hour blitz of trying to learn all their stuff. But they had sent uh, tapes down to me for tunes and possible arrangements. So we were able to get some things figured out before we got up there. And Trey had written out, um, like, Split Open and Melt. I think he wrote that whole composition out. So we had that to read. And there was some other stuff, too. But a lot of the stuff we just came up with at the rehearsal, just writing stuff down. And we went from there. We have all the shows that you've played of all the shows that you've seen why pick this one july 21st 1991 to talk about on the show why do you have attendance bias toward it i think uh because recently i guess last year was the 30th anniversary of that tour and i just remember that that particular those two nights uh there at the at arrowhead ranch were just an amazing experience because they were just full blown days and, and great nights of playing, so I think that's why it, it kind of stands out in, uh, in, in being close to the anniversary of, of that tour uh, makes it even more special. Set one. Well, let's dive into the show. The first set opens with Cavern, and it seems to me as a as a listener i would use the word obviously but hearing you talk about the practice maybe i'm wrong i wrote that it's very clear that this is practiced and charted out uh, i wrote i love that the band plays the chorus twice without the horns and then after the first pause with fishman the whole horn section joins in like you guys added to the character of the song not just as some sort of novelty it was wonderful to hear and it kind of lets the listener know what you're in for Uh, that was a lot of fun. The cavern was great. And it's not just what to play, but when to play it. it. It adds a lot as the listener. You don't think about it the first time. You know, you mentioned talking about, I think it was Stevie Ray Vaughan, that when you listen, you just try to listen to it, enjoy and not analyze and break down. I think a lot of Fish fans have that same thing, where we're so used to analyzing and breaking down the music. But the first time, you just want to listen and enjoy it. And Cavern is one of their songs that's easy to listen to and enjoy. It's, that's a, it's a great song. It's, you know, a little funny story about playing Cavern, uh, Brian, 
And I think we played it a few times throughout that tour. I don't know, maybe it could have been Paige asking me or, or Trey saying, hey, man, you got one of those uh, wah-wah or plunger, <laughs> you know, mutes. And I'm like, well, no, because I brought, you know, I brought my, my horns for the tour. And, you know, I couldn't drive back to Rhode Island and get anything more. So I said, well, I've got an idea. And, and so we took um, old soda bottle, you know, the 64-ounce soda bottles, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, uh, Chris Corota, I'm like, who's got a knife? And Chris is like, I got a knife. So Chris grabs a, a Coke bottle and he cuts off, you know, two inches from the bottom of the Coke bottle. Right. So now I've got a, a makeshift, uh, plunger as it were. And it was just funny because we go to the next show and the next time we play cavern, well, guess who doesn't have the makeshift plunger. So corota has got to go get another soda bottle and cut it. And I think he must've done that every time we played it. He, he, he just happily went and grabbed the bottle and, and he, you know, it was part of his gig now, you know, not only doing lights, but he, uh, he got me the, the Wawa for, for, for cavern. <laughs> Jack of all trades. <laughs> yeah. Man. And the next song was divided sky, which I was thinking about it. The horns, follow the really complicated Mary had a little lamb part right toward the beginning. I thought that this must've been incredibly difficult to learn and pull off or was it, I mean, the time signatures themselves in this song are hard to learn and play and make sound smooth, but the rhythms are also very difficult. Do you remember your rehearsals or performing divided sky? Yeah, I think we rehearsed that at at the band house in Winooski before the tour. So we had a, you know, we had it under our fingers as a person using uh, musical jargon there. But uh, really, the the lion's share of the passages were the saxophones, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then, I mean, it was all, we all had input, right? We were all playing on it. But there were some things that, you know, thank goodness it was saxophones playing those lines and not a trumpet, you know? But you, but you had your moments in the sun. We'll get to them. Not quite there yet, but there were parts where only a trumpet would fit, in my opinion. And I'll let you know when those are. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. But after Divided Sky is Guela Papyrus, which is fun because I think you hear the amp blue in the recording. Uh, someone, I think it's Fishman, asks the audience if anyone wants to buy, quote, a used Mesa amplifier. 
man. Uh, after that is Poor Heart, which is standard. You know, it's good, but yeah. it's the same as it always is. And then you mentioned this song earlier, Split Open and Melt. Uh, the word this time that I use to describe the horn section is complementary. Like you're not echoing the main melodies like you were in Divided Sky. It's like different harmonies to change the character of the song entirely. Do you remember how those came up? Did Trey write them or was this more of a collaborative effort? Oh, Trey wrote those. And uh, I think he had, he had written them a while back prior to the tour. So it was basically knowing your part. And we had music for the tour. We, we kind of, it was more, the music was more of a blueprint. It was basically, hey, this is what we're going to do. It may not stick to this form. But split open and free pretty well orchestrated there and Trey did a great job with the arrangement. So um, that, that was fun to play. And then after that is the lizards, which has more horns at around one minute. My only note is this is so fun because there's like a mariachi Latin jazz inspired horn part, which if you heard lizards by itself without horns, you would never think to add something like that. It's so creative. Yeah. I think that just came about by happenstance. I think, I just tried to play something that I thought fit. And if you, if you listen to um, when the horns do come in, I just kind of play some riffs up top and it, it, exactly right. The kind of the mariachi style flavor to it. So that kind of stuck and it seemed to work pretty good. He said, I come from the land of darkness. better than pretty good if i may say so and <laughs> i try to correct you but just oh, expressing the, my passion for it the the vocabulary the adjective that i put in for lizards is spicy it yeah. sounds it sounds like a really good mariachi band in a sense but mixed with this kind of progressive rock uh song about a strange race called lizards and this you know the game henge song it, I think it was even pushed so far that it was a showcase for the giant country horns. Like it's maybe my favorite edition so far this set. Yeah. Cool, man. I, I agree. I, I think it was a, it was a great song to play and it, and it seemed like the horns really fit well. 
And after the lizards is speaking of mariachi is the landlady. It's like made for a horn section, right? Oh yeah. That was a blast to play. And someone was playing percussion. Do you remember who that was? I couldn't hear it. Well, I could hear it, but I couldn't see it obviously. Well, for landlady, it was just Russell, Russell Remington on tenor sax and myself. And then Dave Grippo, put his alto saxophone down and got on the congas. So he, right. he normally, he would play, yeah, that auxiliary percussion, whatever, congas, or I think that's what they were. They weren't bongos. It was, they were congas. And I think that's out, out there somewhere on video. But um, yeah, that's a that's an incredible song to play. My favorite about it is at the end, you are introduced last when they introduce the giant country horns because your mom is in the audience. And Trey yeah. says that it's like, never forget that fish is from the suburbs to begin with. Of course, the moms show up to the gig. <laughs> yeah. That was very sweet. The same thing would happen yeah. if I were in a band, my mom would show up to every gig. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I guess that was about as close as we were going to get on that tour we did play at the academy in new york but just to come for them to come up to that um it was great and uh but you know my mom's still alive today and, and uh it's, brings a smile to her face you know about my time with fish you know just very very so bring back some great memories after that is bouncing around the room which has saxophone i couldn't hear any other horns for some reason it was hard to hear uh, providing harmonies in there it seemed like a standard cool down version of the song after so much energy that preceded it. And then the big portion of the set of the classic Mike's hydrogen and weak to close it. Uh, the bouncing on the room, uh, excuse me, bouncing around the room. I think we played uh, just some background pads to that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, just long tones. Um, that's how I, I remember it. And for the Mike's groove, there was just so much music. There were a lot of horns everywhere. It sounded like the saxophone got the most lead parts in it, but it wasn't alone. It seemed like you guys kind of took turns. Do you remember how that was developed with Mike's Hydrogen and Weekapog? No, I, just, I think we we had probably looked at that uh, during, you know, before the tour. And uh, it kind of morphed from whatever we started with. It's what you heard there. And to Arrowhead. 
Hi, everybody. Brian here. Hope you are enjoying the first half of today's episode of Attendance Bias. I'm just here to remind you that this whole podcast, the whole shebang, is fully funded by me out of pocket with any donations provided by listeners. And if you feel like you could help even a little bit, whether it's pocket change, a little more than pocket change, or anything in between, you could go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash attendance bias and donate anything you can. I promise every penny received will go straight toward the operating costs, including hosting the website, including any equipment upgrades and editing software, anything associated with the podcast. Your generous donations would be very greatly appreciated. So one more time, that's www.buymeacoffee.com slash attendance bias. Check it out, donate if you can, and enjoy the second half of today's episode. Set two. The second set begins with Tweezer, which is a pretty straightforward song. You know, I know the band developed it from soundcheck and it was pretty new at the time. Now it's like their classic jam vehicle, but in 1991, there were probably a lot of fans who hadn't yet heard it. And this also has a lot of horns on it in places you wouldn't expect. To me, it was more like cavern or Susie Greenberg where the addition of the horn part kind of sticks with the listener. And it makes it so every time you hear it thereafter in your head, the horns are there. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, every song was fun, but that, that one really, you, know, you, you could tell, just got everybody going. I have to imagine the part where they sing Uncle Ebenezer and it's just complete chaos on purpose, that for a Navy trumpet player, this must have been like the most delightful thing, like breaking out of a box. You could have played anything you wanted, complete nonsense. <laughs> well, it's definitely a different genre from what I was normally playing in, in the Navy band, but. Uh, in the Navy band, you know, we play everything. We play classical, rock, jazz, you know. Um, we didn't play any fish at the time. Um, and I don't know if they are these days. I, I've been out of the program for a little while. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just that that was part of the spontaneity, Brian. You know, what whatever moved you is what you did. And you kind of knew what fit, and you kind of knew what did. So we did a lot more of the sticking to what we thought would fit and just go with that musical intuition and go with the flow. And I think that's why uh, what, what made that, that particular show so special, uh, so special rather was, uh, you know, those, those moments of just improv.
after that was I Didn't Know, which is kind of a cool down song. It seems like everyone got a break from their instruments, except the band and their voices. With Complete with a Vacuum solo, by the way, and uh-huh. Runaway Jim. Uh, the next few songs are kind of prime 1991 fish. So there's Runaway Jim, which was straightforward, energetic, short, creative, and odd. And this one was your centerpiece, in my opinion, if you'll allow me. Lawn Boy is a perfect song for that muted trumpet solo that you put in at about 40 seconds. Yeah, that that was great, you know, because Paige sang it and brought back a lot of memories from when he and I were, were younger, you know, um, before before uh, high school, just playing playing together. But it's it's a great song, and that was kind of my wheelhouse, I suppose, that type of music. So it, it fit well with, uh, with the mute. I really enjoyed playing that. It comes through. That energy comes through completely, even though it's not energetic in the traditional sense, because it's kind of a more laid back song in terms of its tone. But your love for the genre, the singer songwriter genre, we talked a lot about Tony Bennett earlier. Lawn Boy is not part of the great American songbook, but as far as its tone, it kind of fits in that genre. Uh, after that, oh, that oh, go yeah, ahead. It, go ahead. Brian, Brian, it, Brian, it absolutely fits in that genre. I mean, you could play that song to somebody in their, in their seventies or eighties. And they would say, Hey, I know that song. You know, they don't know <laughs> the song, but they think they do. Right. Because it's definitely got the chord progression and, you know, the style stylization of the song yeah absolutely that fits in that uh fits in that genre and the black oleander surrounded by blue gets so overwhelmed by olfactory hues Take it away, Ron, boy. that is some prime fish of the sloth and esther which i don't think has a lot of horn action in either song and acdc bag and contact which both has have a pretty nice quick punchy tempo uh, there's some great horn parts and then back at four minutes it seems spontaneous i wrote but it can't be
I don't know. Was there a giant country horns band leader? Not really. Uh, I think musically, as far as the voices of each instrument, uh, the trumpet, it kind of sits on top because it has most of the melodies, right? So that in itself lends itself to having whoever is playing trumpet kind of musically lead in a way. I will tell you, playing with Dave and Russell, those guys are absolutely phenomenal players. So it's it's just like playing with a great athlete, right? If you're on the pitch or wherever you're, whatever you're doing, they're just going to make you a better player just by being around them. So I think that added a lot to the trajectory of what we could do as a horn section, and especially me because I had limitations, right? I'm not. I'm not some screaming high trumpet player. You know, I, I just do what I do. But for for that time, moment in time, and with each show, it just got stronger and stronger. I saw, you know, I saw my abilities grow. And with the abilities growing, you know, you get more confident. If you're playing more confidently, that the other players now are feeding off that confidence. Did the three of you, as the giant country horns, did you have any sense of fraternity apart from fish? Like, did the three of you kind of see yourselves as like a mini group within the larger group? I don't think at the time we probably felt it, but couldn't put your thumb on it to mm-hmm. say this is this is what we are. But certainly, as the years have gone by, because of our affiliation with them, um, I think that's kind of strengthened the bond of the three of us. You know, we've had other opportunities to play together. But, I, you know, the last time we played with Fish was on that tour. I played with uh, the Trey Band, Trey Anastasio Band, in 2001. In July, they came through Virginia Beach. And, and Dave and Russell and Jen Hartswick, they were on the band at the time. So And then I ended up coming out and, and sitting in for most of the show with them there. So that was another you know, great opportunity what a super feeling get back to to playing with everybody especially being up there with trey again so but over the years i think the the connection that we have the three of us uh you know it's pretty darn strong and we we stay in touch quite often just looking for another opportunity you know when our our uh, worlds align i suppose because russell's down in in uh, texas and dave's still up in vermont He's a music educator, so and, and I'm in uh, Rhode Island. But we're looking forward to uh, possibly another another run one of these days. Well, I got my fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> and after ACDC bag bleeds right into contact, and I I kept thinking in the back of my head, there's got to be a trumpet solo coming up, even though I've heard this track many times. You know, it, it's new every time. And so oh. I was well, I was listening to it with a special focus on the horns and a special double special focus on the trumpet this time in preparation of speaking with you. And I was like, there's gotta be, I expect a nice trumpet solo somewhere. And it's right. It's right there at the end, which is again, Latin inspired progressions and rhythms. It was, it was so much fun to play. I mean, I really, everything, you know, all these tunes that we're talking about and how the show went, I just, I just remember being so much fun to play and just looking forward to, the next show, you know, what's, what's next, right? Yeah. And you guys as a horn section mixed in a lot of different styles, which of which fish does by the way, but as a horn player, 
it's not that easy to be as improvisational and to kind of jump from Dixieland to slow jazz to Latin jazz. It's, it's not as easy as it sounds because on the tape, it sounds natural. I, I just say it's just, you know, just another, uh, another treatment of another song that you have to fit whatever's on that musical landscape, you know, I'm not trying to be too metaphorical, but you know, you just, Whatever the tune calls for, you know, you, you got to fill the role. Yeah, and but I was just I saying that. I was just saying the band was lucky to have a well-rounded horn section that they can grab a little bit from all those different styles. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. And to close the second set, classic closer is Tweezer Reprise with fantastic energy. You push it into a higher key at near two minutes. It, it starts in its usual key, but your horn section it just, or your trumpet playing just jumps everything up and you could hear it in the crowd. I don't know if everyone understood why it got so much more intense, but listening to it with a critical ear, it's the trumpet section that does it. Yeah, I think it was just, you know, you're, we were peaking, right? Yeah. Uh, the, tune, the tune just kind of soars. It, it was a lot of fun. And there's a long pause after that for the encore where Trey talks about a few charities that are in the audience, including the Make-A-Wish Foundation. He gives an open invite to the Amy's Farm gig later that summer, which would become legendary in its own right. And then he calls out Gumbo. You could hear him say it where the fish.net has a, uh, a list next to certain songs of what's called jam charts, where they pick out what they consider the editors of the website, extra special versions of that given song with short descriptions. And the description of this gumbo reads with the giant country horns, this widely circulated arrowhead ranch version is a must hear. Why do you think it's a must hear or is it in your opinion? I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I, I probably would agree just listening to it. So that was really a lot of fun. It sounded great. And just made a whole bunch of musical sense, I suppose. And, and it was very exciting. And um, I think we're all, we were all playing uh, at a high level, I suppose. And more importantly, uh, we were playing together. You know, that's the whole thing. Is it, it didn't seem forced in any way. And it, it, that's basically what that song is. We didn't know how it was going to end. I think we ended like a, <laughs> kind of a Dixieland fade out thing, right? Yes, and, that's and, how it yeah, ended. 
and he, like Trey just kind of looks over and, and smiles and and then the rhythm section which is those guys right are, yeah. are those guys you know they just kind of they kind of fade out and it's just us right and it's like oh okay let's it's just us let's do our thing and and um, and it just ended like when you laugh you laugh about it on a, on a gig when everything goes as planned and and you see just like rehearsal when there was no rehearsal <laughs> right right yeah exactly that's that's you know when i look back at playing with fish we didn't have a lot of rehearsal time and everything we pretty much did was on stage so i think that's a testament to trust and what we were doing with the band and that just instills confidence which if the band is happy those guys were digging it we were getting better with it we felt a part of the presentation you know and not, not not some kind of add-on at the time you know and people can look back or listen for the first time or maybe they just got into fish and then they start listening to stuff that was back then and you know they might not have the same appreciation it was just a time in the band's you know history you know, what we did and they just continue to get better and better and, and step out and and it's just it's just really great to hear what they're doing lately, and it was just so much fun to be a part of it uh, back then, you know. Yeah, and you were no small part of it. Uh, but we're not done yet with it because next up was "Touch Me" by The Doors, which when I was oh. getting into fish, <laughs> a big part of the appeal was I was really really. Uh, neck deep into classic rock. So when I saw this listed on the set list, I'm like, oh my God, I got to get this. My new favorite band playing a song from one of my older favorite bands. And I got to say, I know Fishman, it was kind of sung as a goof, but listening to it many years later, it's pulled off really well. Obviously the saxophone is the centerpiece of the solo in the end. Oh, but, but I didn't realize, you know, it's not, it's it's a joke song for fish, but at the same time, it isn't because they pull it really well. And Trey does a great job on drums. It has to be said. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that was so much fun to play. And we played a few times, I think, on tour. <laughs> and yeah, fish when he gets up there, man, he's he's just it's just great. It was just so <laughs> much fun, just so much fun to play. And then I don't think Brian, I had ever played touch me in any band you know you would think that i'd have been in some kind of rock band that played touch me but i'd never been i never played the song before and we didn't have any music for that either so uh, we just you know made it up off the cuff what we remembered and they're fairly straightforward horn lines but i will say when russ plays those tenor solos on that song he just absolutely kills it.
yeah. it's so it's so exciting. And to see, you know, Trey back on the drums doing his thing. That was just so much fun. And so the, the show ends for another minute, but there's a second encore with Fee and Susie Greenberg. And Fee is a big time fan favorite. There's no horns on it. You guys, I imagine, must have needed a break. I've seen video and pictures of you in your white tuxedos. So I can only imagine in the Northeast with white tuxedos outdoors for a show. But then Susie Greenberg, which I wrote down in my notes, probably the song most improved by the addition of a horn section. This is the song where the horns play in my head when I hear it anytime, anywhere. powerful piece with horns and brian i'm gonna i'm gonna correct you if i may okay please all right those those white tuxedos and there are probably a lot of black and white photos out there but they are actually pink the jackets were (laughs) pink yeah the jackets were pink and the pants were purple and we can thank Paige for that because when we were at the the band rehearsal house when we took a break Paige went out to a thrift store and got three tuxedo jackets that were white. And he got three pair of like eighties cargo pants that were white. Okay. And he bought some dye and had the dye in these huge vats on the stove. And he had pink dye and he had purple dye. And he put the jackets in the pink dye and the pants in the purple dye. And Man, we wore those jackets for 14 straight gigs without ever getting them dry clean. Oh, so they must imagine. have smelled awful. Oh, well, I don't know. Yeah. By the time we got to Atlanta, who knows? They probably just walked off. Uh, that's one thing I regret. I regret not taking my music, and I regret not taking my uh, my tuxedo home because I think I left it <laughs> in the back of Fishman's uh, van, and, that, and, that, and I caught my flight home. But anyway, yeah, those jackets were pink. And the dye in the in the jackets would go through the shirt onto our skin. <laughs> I'm not I'm not kidding you, man. And uh, I think there was just one. We had one day where we could get some some laundry done, and we washed our our tuck shirts, but we couldn't wash the the other stuff. But anyway, those were those were pink jackets. Well, Carl Gerhard, I cannot thank you enough. While we were talking, I've never, I've stepped over my words so many times. I've never felt so excited to talk to someone who had such insight to one of my favorite shows that I've ever seen. So a million and one thanks 
for you taking the time to come on Attendance Bias to talk about July 21st, 1991 at Arrowhead Ranch, giving insight as to being a musician, insight into what it was like to work with the members of Fish, and insight into just different tastes of music that a lot of fans may not be a fan of. So one more time, thank you for being here to have this conversation. Brian, I appreciate it. And I thank you for, for taking the time with me. And I'm glad our, our calendars worked out uh, eventually. And uh, yeah, and uh, congratulations, congratulations again on your marriage. And uh, I wish you all the best. And I certainly look forward to meeting you in person at the next show we both can attend. And uh, really, man, I really appreciate you having me on and, and give me a chance uh, to just uh, reminisce a little bit. And, uh, and to be able to listen again to uh, that tour and specifically that show because it did bring back a lot of great memories and just it was it was a lot of fun. I said that a lot today, but uh, everything was so much fun on that tour. Carl and I got mostly everything right, but it was still appropriate to look back and double check some facts and figures for today's attendance bias fact check. Attendance Bias Fact Check Carl's first show on November 11th, 1988 is available on fish.in as a soundboard recording. However, the recording is incomplete. Even though the show is apparently three sets, the entire recording available on the site is just an hour and nine minutes. Luckily for us, Carl's guest spot on John Coltrane's Mr. PC is part of the available recording. A link to that show is in today's show notes. Carl mentioned that his most recent appearance with Fish was at the Entelus Pavilion in Portsmouth, Virginia. That was on June 19, 2012. Carl played on Party Time in the first set. It should also be noted that, including his appearances with the Giant Country Horns, Carl is the most frequent onstage guest with Fish in the band's history. And just to remind you, Carl is currently playing in a band called Roomful of Blues. The link to their site is in today's show notes. You can find them at www.roomful.com. At the time of this recording, Carl's most recent fish show was the Thursday night at Mansfield, a.k.a. Greatwoods. For the record, that was on July 14, 2022. Carl says that he would love to play Chalk Dust Torture on stage with Fish if given the opportunity, and he adds he thinks the band played the song on the summer 1991 tour. He is absolutely correct. The band opened the first show of this run, July 20th, 91, at Arrowhead Ranch with Chalk Dust Torture. That specific track was covered on Attendance Bias with author Peter Connors. In total, Chalk Dust was played seven times during the 1991 Giant Country Horns tour, half of the shows. When discussing the time he met Dave Grippo, Carl brings up the gigs with Fish when they played at Nectar's under the pseudonym the Johnny B. Fishman Jazz Ensemble, where the band would play their home venue to practice jazz standards to enhance their chops. According to Fish.com, there were only two Johnny B. Fishman Jazz Ensemble gigs, January 20th and 27th, 1991. The Fish.com description of the January 27th show reads, Quote, this was the second of two January Johnny B. Fishman Jazz Ensemble shows at Nectar's. The Johnny B. Fishman Jazz Ensemble, up until this point, generally consisted of Trey, Fish, Mike, and Page, plus Russell Remington on tenor saxophone. 
They were joined at this show by Dave the Truth Grippo on alto saxophone and Carl Gears Gerhard on trumpet. The setlist is unknown. According to an interview with Carl the next day, Trey asked him to join the, as yet unnamed, Giant Country Horns for a summer tour with Fish, dubbed the Horn Tour. Moving a little bit forward in time, the date that Carl joined the Trey Anastasio band on stage was July 30th, 2001 at the Virginia Beach Amphitheater. He joined the band for their full show. And that's it for today's episode of Attendance Bias. I'd like to thank Carl Gerhard for coming and being so generous on today's interview. I'd like to thank Fish.net for their help with the fact check and Fish.in for the recording used in today's episode. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please follow it on social media, mostly on Instagram and Twitter. If you reach out and say hello, I'll send you a free sticker. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias. Attendance Bias.